are listening to Cold Lake Community Church Podcast. I hope today's message inspires you. Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families come together. So last week we started our new series, Identity Theft, and we talked about who we are as sons and daughters in the Lord. Today we're going to look at the whole area of manhood. What does it mean to be a man of God? And then next week, Cindy's going to share about what does it mean to be a woman of God. Does the Bible give us a clear definition of what it means to be a man? I found this article on, uh, actually it was on one of your guys' Facebook pages, and I decided to read it, and I thought that I would share a little clip of this, uh, of this post. It says, I'm constantly seeing different posts on Facebook about the kind of man we ought to marry or the kind we ought to wait for for the kind we deserve. The hypothetical creatures that are described in these memos, we supposedly will do anything from standing in the rain with us and making us breakfast in bed to pampering us with when we've had a rough day. They will call us darling and apologize even when we're wrong and treat us like children we want them to and grown-ups when we want that. They'll hold us when we cry and hold us when we're throwing a fit and hold us when we're being spoiled like a brat. They'll give us money for whatever we want. They'll never question us. They'll rub our feet and warm us in a towel in the dryer during our hot bath that they just drew for us. They'll greet us with roses on a regular basis, and they'll always most definitely understand all the inner workings of our mind. And if they don't, they will acknowledge their idiocy and, their, and our brilliance. I'm not sure how these things keep getting passed around or why so many women seem to feel uh, that men like this exist. And I suppose the bigger question is, why would anyone want a man like that? The, make, uh, the make-believe figures that keep making the rounds on social media sound to me like husbands who will in no way challenge you or help you to grow as a person. Do we really want men who are so afraid of us that they would never question us? Do we really believe that we're so privileged or perfect that we're never needing questioning? Are these the men that our single women are really waiting for? Are married women really convinced that posting such things will motivate their husbands to be different? I'm so confused. Here's the truth. Men are human beings, just like women are human beings. But we really have let silly movies and fantasies lead us to believe that the really good men are different, that they spend their entire day dreaming up ways to pamper us. We fool ourselves into thinking that really good men love, uh, leave love notes, wash dishes, and plan elaborate trips and show, us, show up with diamonds that they can't afford. We live in our chick flick haze and get upset when our really good men go to work and play with the kids and mow the yard and make sure the tires on the cars are okay. We are dissatisfied when our really good men sit on the couch and watch football. We just don't feel special enough when our really good men smile across the room because you know no flowers, no chocolate, no handmade book of memories, no rose petal paths to any place. This is getting absurd. You want to know if you really have a good man? Here's a test for you. Does your man love God? Does he love you? Does he work hard? Does he come home? Does he love your children? If so, then you've got a good one. Hollywood portrays men as idiots. Homer Simpsons. Guys who just don't have a clue, who can't even walk without falling down the stairs. Um, uh, in Ontario, in 2015, changes were passed to teach kids at grade three about six different genders. This is the notion that whether you're a boy or a girl doesn't necessarily relate to your physical anatomy, 
It's merely a social constraint. Somewhere, being a Christian, serving of God of love has become extremely offensive. We as men have an option to hide our head in the sand and hope that it all goes away or stand firm knowing what the Word of God says. The Bible says in Matthew 6.33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God above all else. Live righteously and he will give you everything that you need. Yet Promise Keepers just released a new statistic that 14% of Canadians read their Bible at least once a week. See, we need to know who we are. For opinions and cultures are changing daily. The spirit of the Antichrist is alive and well. In fact, the Bible says, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Who are we as men? Do we know what it means to be a man? If you hold the door open for a woman, is that being, uh, um, is that being polite and a gentleman? Or is that being um, rude and obnoxious? It's one of those things where you just feel like sometimes you win and sometimes you lose. And there's not, no matter which way you go, you're going you're gonna to fail. But today, I want us to focus on 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13. It says, be on guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. Now this, this scripture was written to Paul for the Corinthians. And, the, and back in Corinth, it was a trade center of the Mediterranean. So it was a melting pot of nationalities that lived and traded in the area. This way is very much like Canada is today. As a result, many different religions were represented in this region. And there were many people of low moral character. It's not really surprising then that a number of carnal problems started to enter into the church. As well as the infiltration of philosophies from some other religions, Paul addresses some of these issues, such as fractions, lawsuits, immorality, abuse of the Lord's Supper, and others. He also answers questions that had about things such as spiritual gift, church finances, the resurrection, and more. So he tells the Corinthian church, "Be on guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong." With an ever-changing system that defines gender roles, our responsibility, we as believers have to have a solid plumb line in our lives. Our plumb line needs to be the Word of God. And Paul says, lays it out, what that takes to be a man of God. So let's dig into that this morning. First, we need to be on guard. What does that mean to be on guard? See, we can forget our role as a man. See, the Bible tells us that we as men are priests of the home. A priest, what is that? It represents people to God. In the Old Testament, a priest would turn his people back to the people and mediate for them before God. Jesus is our high priest who mediates between people and the Father by the sacrifice of his life. And a priest mediates before God. A husband is to be that priest of the family. He represents his wife, his children to God. He spends time in prayer every day remembering the needs and concerns of his wife. He prays for the salvation of his children. Like Job, he asks the Lord to forgive the sins of his children. He sets up the spiritual temperature in the home. He sacrifices his life for theirs. And he's the mediator that stands between God and the family. I think Job is such an amazing example of a godly man. You know, if you take a look and you dive into Job chapter 1, you're going to see that Job would wake up early every single day and make sacrifices for his kids just in case they sinned that day. Isn't that amazing? 
We as men need to understand that the children that the Lord has blessed us with are a gift from God. And see, being a youth pastor for 12 years, I've been able to walk through probably the hardest role and the hardest place for any mom and dad to be able to walk through. Because there's a time where every child will no longer serve the God that you serve. But they'll either go their own way or they'll choose to make God their God that they serve. And in order to do that, they have to walk in that place and just have that real experience with the Lord Jesus Christ. They're getting pulled from one way in the school to, hey, come try this, do this, this is fun. They're getting told by media and television that this is okay and this is the norm. And then they're coming home and they're hearing that this is the way that it should be. And it's just like, who am I? Which way do I go? But when the Lord Jesus Christ breathes life into our kids and we take time to pray and fast and petition the Lord for each one of them, powerful moments happen. What's it mean to be a dad? I don't know about you guys, but I saw this shirt on, uh, on probably on Facebook or something like that. I don't know where I saw it, but I had to buy the shirt. And I'll show it to you this morning. It says something around the line of, yes, I have a beautiful daughter, but I also have a gun, a shovel, and an alibi. <laughs> and I'm like, that is awesome. I'm going to get that shirt. And when I, I, I got it for more of a joke for Mackenzie. And me, when Mackenzie saw that shirt, she's like, Daddy, that is so cool. You are my protector. Daddy no matter what happens, you'll be there for me. And I'm just like, wow, I thought it would be like, Dad, don't wear that shirt in public, you know? But it kind of, it was kind of that thing. And I thought, man, this is awesome. But it's a t-shirt. It really, what's it mean? Absolutely nothing. The truth of the matter is that me as a man of God and me who, a father of three, I do have this opportunity to be able to pray for my kids and I do have this opportunity to be able to stand before the Lord and petition the God for each and every one of them, which I do, to pray, to fast, and to say, Lord, I don't want to fight things on this level. You know, it's easy to fight things on this level. When something's wrong, it's easy to discipline and kind of say, hey, listen, that's not what we do. But as they're growing older, we can't do the things that we did when they were young. It, it, it changes where we're no longer maybe a dad, but we more move into that role of a coach. And we have to coach our kids, and we have to encourage our kids, and our kids are going to make mistakes, and we're going to have to have the hard role of watching them make mistakes. But in saying that, the Lord knows and our most prized possessions in the whole world, we sit back there and say, God, this is so hard for me, Lord. But God, I give you my daughter. God, I give you my son. Lord, you know how much I love them, but the truth is, God, is you love them more than I ever can. It's amazing how many times the hand of God comes in and moves in such a supernatural way and when that happens, we just sit back and say, God, you're good. But see, if we get as men so preoccupied and busy with things like work 
hunting, sports, things that are good, but yet things that are not the most important. And we need to focus on the Lord Jesus Christ and say, God, how can I stand firm? How can I be on guard for my kids? See, I understand the word says that Satan is like a roaring lion seeking whom he can devour. I think we need to take that warfare seriously and raise up our children in an atmosphere of praise, worship, and prayer. You know, my father passed away this August, and I was asked to do the eulogy. And when I asked, was asked to do the eulogy, I just started to hang out with some friends and family, and we just started telling stories about dad. And one of the stories I use in the eulogy is I remember twice in my life, I remember waking up at about 5 o'clock in the morning and getting up as a kid and getting ready to start the day. And, and the house was quiet because I felt that I thought that I was the only one up, and I walked out in the living room two times. And I saw my dad kneeling at the chair and praying. And I remember going and kneeling beside him and saying, Dad, what are you praying for? You know, he never told me. He just said, I'm just struggling with some things in my life, and I just need to seek the Lord on it. See, we were raised in a home where we were Christian by title, but not really by function. We didn't really involve or invite the Holy Spirit into our lives. But those two times just set me straight. And I got to see my dad on his knees in the living room floor at his chair praying for something. I never forgot it. As dads, are we preparing ourselves and our kids for the same experience with God? Do we set up that atmosphere of absolute praise and worship and just be like, you know what, God, sometimes I blow it. And we all blow it. But there's something about sitting down with our kids and saying, you know what, guys? Dad's not perfect. Dad blew it. He lost his temper. Dad made a mistake, and I shouldn't have done this. But you know what? God isn't finished with me yet. You know, I've said it before, and but we give our kids every single year on Christmas and for birthdays, we give them a get-out-of-jail-free card. came from Monopoly. And we make these little get-out-of-jail-free cards, and I give them to each one of them. And, and I want to do that right until they leave the home. And it's an opportunity that when they do something wrong, that they hand you the, this little card, and all of a sudden, whatever it is, it's done. And we get to walk in that place and just say, you know what? The Lord gives each one of us grace. And we get an eternity to spend with Jesus Christ, and we don't deserve it. So even though you deserve punishment for what you did right now, it is now null and void because Jesus Christ shows us grace. And it's awesome because they get to learn the area and the whole attribute of grace. But yet, you know what? There's times when maybe my kids don't hand, physically hand me a get-out-of-jail-free card, but there's times where my kids extend the same grace to their father. 
when I'm having a bad hair day or I wake up on the wrong side of the bed or all of a sudden my blood sugar is high and I'm just like, and I lose it on them. And they're just like, it's okay, Dad. We love you because that is something that we're able to instill into our kids. The Bible reminds us in Ephesians 6, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly place. Do we forget, men, that there is such thing as demonic presences, not only in North America, but in Cold Lake, Alberta? Do we forget that and just chalk everything up to a bad day or a bad experience because, you know what, this whole demonic thing, I don't know, it's kind of weird. See, the truth of the matter is, is the Bible is so clear that there is such thing as demons. And there is such thing as a heavenlies, and there is such thing as a war that is happening in the heavenlies. And we can't close or turn a blind eye to it, but we have to face it and say, not on my watch. I'm a watchman over my wall, over my family. And I get to sit in that place and say, God, give me strategies for today to be able to be the best husband, to be able to be the best father that I can possibly be. And maybe you're here and you're not married. Well, you know what? It's a great training ground. Because as the world changes and as culture changes, somehow, somewhere, it has become offensive to serve Jesus Christ. How is that possible? Because he's the real deal. And the counterfeit wants the world to say no and reject it. But we need to stand firm. we got to be on guard. We need to understand what's going on. Have our eyes open to the things of the Spirit. And say, God, I trust you with everything. We are men. Guys, we don't have to put on the skirts. But we need to stand in that place and stand firm. My wife, Cindy, was saying to me yesterday, and I can't remember what it was, but she said, you know what? I'm going to take your man card if you don't do that. I said, oh, no, no, you have no chance to take my man card. You're a girl. You can never take my man card. She goes, well, I'll I'll call Regan Faith, and he's going to tell you, he's going to take your man card. I said, oh, no, 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 no. Regan will be on my side. Because he's a man. We have men cards. That's powerful. And the Bible says that iron sharpens iron. And that's why we need brothers to come along the side and say, How's your life going? What's happening? What's going on? My friends, we need one another. There's a, on the back bulletin board out there, there's a Promise Keepers event that's coming up to Edmonton in March, I believe. Take a look at it. 
Mark it off on your calendars now so you can go. We as men are going to go down to Edmonton together and take in this Promise Keepers event. We want to see men's ministry grow, and, and Jarl's got a passion for that, to be able to see that happen. And I'm going to have him speak pretty soon here. Maybe we can go get Jarl now. The next point is to stand firm in the faith. We as men need to stand firm in what the Lord has given us. There's so many distractions and filth that will try to make its way into our homes, but we need to stand firm in the faith. Compromise is taking small steps and allowing the enemy into our lives a little bit at a time. Where are we compromising? What video games are you playing? What movies are we watching? You know what we, the, the Lord needs? We need men who know how to use remote control clickers. But not just to change the channels between commercials, but when something is offensive on, say, not on our TV. We don't invite that into our home. Not just like, ah, it's not too bad. Yeah, all of a sudden these little compromises just kind of come in and just take us further and further and further away. And the Lord is like, no, what's your standard? Stand firm in the faith. This is your home. This is your castle. What spirits are we inviting into our homes? The Bible says in Matthew 24, verse 37, when the Son of Man returns, it'll be like it was in Noah's day. In Noah's day, the ill earth was filled with corruption, self-gratification, and a deep form of apathy. As men, we don't just need to monitor what we allow our kids to watch and listen to, but we have to be cautious of what we're partaking in. I love the biblical example of David's mightiest men. Those guys are the coolest guys in the whole Bible. One of them guys was named Shammah. And it was his task to guard a bean field. That must be a pretty boring job. You know what? Here's this bean field. And him and a few other guys were around guarding this bean field. And all of a sudden, the, Israel, uh, the uh, Philistine army comes by. And his buddies take off running, but not Shammah. Shammah stands his ground. He fights the Philistine army, and this one guy kills the whole legion. <sighs> Why? Because God gave him supernatural favor. Psalms 5.12 says, The favor of God surrounds the righteous like a shield. And you know what? God's shield of his favor is being placed on individuals right now. Do you want a shield of favor? It's awesome. It's standing firm. It's standing in the faith when all of a sudden things don't look good and saying, you know what? I'm not going to walk in fear because I know if God is for me, who can be against me? I know that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That's my God. If you want to read the story of Shammah? It's in 2 Samuel 23. starts in verse 11. God gave him amazing favor because he stood firm. Men, Sons of God, keep what the Lord has given you. Don't get bored with it, but finish the race. There was a, a statistic that I was reading this week too that it was showing how the top geniuses in the world, what they have in common, is they don't allow circumstances to bring forth boredom. They'll finish the task, and that brings forth success. But I think what happens is we're like, you know what? The Lord has told me that, that I need to serve in Sunday school. And we serve in Sunday school, and then we have a day where it's just like, ah, I don't really feel like being in there today. I don't want to hear about little Johnny's problems. 
oh man, I don't know if I'm accomplishing anything anyways. You know what? I, I've had enough of that. And the Lord's like, stay the course. You know, there's, there's times where God moves us on. There's times where God moves us into different things. Listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. But there's times where we allow boredom to dictate our future. And God's like, no, stay strong. The victory is yours. What has the Lord shared in your heart? Take heart. Press in, for the victory is near. Yarl. Oh, boy. Lance asked me to just share what's going on with me. I must have been talking too much the other day when I got volunteered for this. So I just want to start here. It says, do not be conform, conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So my name's Jarl, or today it's Mr. Jarl. I became a Christian in the fall of 2011. This was the first church we began attending. We've been coming here ever since. God did a miraculous work in my life that summer. I was excited, happy, thankful. I was on fire. You know, I witnessed to everyone I met, prayed, cried to everyone. Hell's angels, it didn't matter. Uh, Now, here in my fifth year as a Christian, you know, I look back and I realized my rookie year was, you know, my strongest year. When it came to goals as a, you know, in my life, as a, in my career, I always wanted to improve, never be idle. So why wasn't I growing and improving in my relationship with Jesus? So when I first attended church, you know, it was rehab for my soul. And it started to appear to be my retirement club to get old. And, you know, four weeks ago, I obliged my wife to attend a conference in Las Vegas. She sells essential oils, so I was pretty sure it was going to an oily, earthy, all-natural, gluten-free women's conference. (laughs) But uh, boy, was I wrong. I heard non-Christian speakers like Bob Proctor, Tony Robbins. I actually don't know if they're non-Christian, but they weren't there to deliver a a biblical message. And there's many others. This wasn't a church event, but God was there working on me. And there was a reoccurring theme going on. Uh, Make a choice. Read, learn, study. Do something. Don't continue to do what's giving you bad results. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. I knew I didn't have to be perfect, but I needed to start putting in the effort. And I was inspired. I began getting up, you know, at 4.30, sometimes 5, working out, reading, meditating with God, praying more, listening more. God was uh, leaping towards me, because I was leaping towards him. I asked him to change my heart of hearts, like what's inside, what you do subconsciously, the, the natural reactions, right? And he's put back in motion the plan he had for me in my rookie year. Moving from just picking bad fruit off my tree, which is exhausting, by the way, uh, to asking God to work on the roots, the roots of the problem. Fix a tree so that bad fruits can't ever grow again. No more counting sins like calories. God's counting my sins for me. They're worth zero. No fat. (laughs) If you're hearing this and you wonder about me, please know I'm a sinner. Uh, I'm only getting by because of Jesus. If you could Google my past, you'd find a brawler, criminal, drunk, 
adulterer. That's, what, that's when God wanted me the most, though. He had plans then to give me a hope and a future, and here it is today. I have the same 24 hours every day as you, as Pastor Lance, as Mother Teresa, or Gandhi. God wants me to get off my butt and put the time in. I can't tell you how much has changed since I realized this. You ask Jesus, tell Jesus, talk to Jesus, knock and the door will be opened. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. These are action statements. They require action to get results. So I took action. And you know what? I'm going to fail. But if I fail a hundred times, I'm going to go back to Jesus, be persistent, and get my goal. That's all I have to say. Amen. Yarrow's a good guy, known him for, uh, well, since he's been coming here, but I uh, went over to his place one time and he showed me his uh, wedding picture. And on his wedding picture, he's got a black eye because he's got in a fight the night before. <laughs> I'm just like, who does that? <laughs> so it's amazing to see the testimony of God and uh, what he's done in that young man's life. We live in a world where men don't know how to be men where there's too many little boys running around in men's body. This Philistine sworn enemy of the Lord recognized the power of courage. This is so cool. In 1 Samuel 4, 6, it says, what's going on, the Philistines ask. What's all the shouting about in the Hebrew camp? When they were told it was because the ark of the Lord had arrived, they panicked. The gods have come into their camp, they cried. This is a disaster. We have had to face anything like this before. Help, who can save us from these mighty gods of Israel? They are the same gods who destroyed the Egyptians with plagues when Israel was in the wilderness. And one guy kind of stands up and says, fight as you never have before, Philistines. If you don't, we're going to become like Hebrew slaves, just as they have been ours. Stand up, fight like men. So the Philistines fought desperately, and Israel was defeated again. The slaughter was great. 30,000 Israelite soldiers died that day. The survivors turned and fled to their tents, the Ark of the God was captured, and Hopani and Phineas, the two sons of Eli, were both killed. Isn't that amazing? Oh my goodness, we're going to die. This is awful. This is a big God. They already defeated the Egyptians. We haven't got a chance. Stand up. Fight like a man. And all of a sudden, you're like, yeah. And they bought in, and they had courage, and they became strong. This world can be a difficult place. And I shared earlier, Job would wake up every morning to make sacrifice just in case his kids sinned. That got me thinking. I wonder if we try to talk to our kids to correct issues and problems more than we pray for our kids, asking the Lord to mold them and shape them. There's a place for speaking to our kids' life. There's a place for disciplining our kids, but there's a huge place for pressing in and praying for our children, and that is where we gain victory. Remember that the Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but principalities. It's our responsibility to engage in warfare on behalf of our families. Joshua, the mighty man of God, became the next leader after Moses. Moses is downloading him into him. He says to him three times, Joshua, be strong. Then as he becomes the new leader, he stands before the people who say, Joshua, we will follow you, but we need you as a leader to be strong. There's something about being strong because you know what? 
Fear is something that every one of us have. But yet the Bible says that he hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but that of love, of power, and sound mind. And there's something about standing in that place and saying, you know what, the odds don't look good, but I trust God. Come on, guys, are you with me? Rallying the men, let's go get them. It's powerful. That's what brings life to men. Men are all about adventure and excitement and passion. We are not who Hollywood has painted us to be. We have been set apart for such a time as this to lead our homes, to stand firm as the priests in the home, to pray for our family and to engage in warfare. That's what we were created for. To worship the Lord Jesus. That's not wussy. Worship is awesome. David was a mighty warrior, but yet he was a man after God's own heart. To have role models like that, role models of people who, who just model what it means to be strong and courageous. See, one of the strongest men I've ever had in my life is our very own Pastor Hayward. And I've just been able to watch this guy very closely as he lives in my basement, and it's maybe a little creepy, but... <laughs> I've been able to watch him very closely. And I've been able to see when trials and, and things come into his family and come into his life, how he handles it. And I've asked him today to close off with sharing, Dad... How do you stand strong as a man? Well, any testimony that I can give has to go back to my father. My father was a man of the word and a man of faith, a man of prayer. He was an excellent role model. And I loved him and admired him all the days of his life. I tried to follow his example as a husband, as a father, and now as a grandfather. He instilled within me from a very young age what it meant to be a man. And... Uh, when I was a young man a y and a boy, teenager, many times I didn't appreciate what my dad had to say. My dad used proverbs a lot, and he would quote the, to them to me faithfully. But when I became a, a man, when I got married, when I had children, all of the things that my dad instilled within me became very important principles in my life. He could e it could easily have been said of him with a contradiction, follow me as I follow Christ. I could tell you a whole lot of stories today, but I just chose one. It was 3 a.m. 
2001. Phone rang, and as a pastor, you know when the phone rings at that hour, most likely somebody is in distress. This time it was my daughter-in-law, Vanessa. She was hysterical. To make a long story short, Graham works in, with steel, the steel plant. A steel beam had become dislodged and he got hit in the head. And uh, so they were taking him to the hospital she was going there. And so while I was dressing, I was praying. All the, the ride to the hospital, I was praying. And when I went into the hospital room, he had regained consciousness, but he couldn't speak. He would just look at you and he couldn't speak. He also had some paralysis. And uh, the Lord healed him from that. Because of prayer, he eventually recovered. But Graham had always suffered with uh, migraine headaches. And this head injury increased that a lot more, like he had more frequent migraines, and more severe. They were so severe that sometimes it would take him and he would just fall on the floor with the pain. Dan Baker was here. Most of you know Dan Baker. And we had a great service. And uh, it was in, the year, in 2000, 2003. Graham, by now, he was losing a lot of work time because of the because of the uh, headaches and I was I was taking Dan back to the airport and I was telling him about Graham and I said would it be possible if we could just drop in and pray for Dennis or for Graham and uh, he said sure we went in he prayed with him we all agreed together and Graham was healed. And that has been the story of my life over and over again. That's just one incident. There's been times when my children in their teenage years turned away from the Lord, didn't want to serve God anymore. When my oldest son was into drugs and the police cruiser was at our door just about every day hauling him out into the car and questioning him and all of these things. We went into ministry with Dennis not serving the Lord and into that sort of a lifestyle. And the old enemy was saying, what are you trying to do? You're going to try to save the world? You can't even save your own family. But I had a deep instilled faith something that my father had instilled within me, and I had a faith that believed in God. And the things that I didn't understand, I just left with him. And the only thing that I know 
in every aspect of my life has been to put my trust and my faith in Him. Prayer works. And now just this, uh, two weeks ago, Graham lost his job. He's a young man, just like many of you here. If the paycheck don't come in, there's no money for food, and there's no money for, for rent or for mortgage. But again, I'm praying to the Lord. And God is going to provide a job for him, just like every other time that he's answered prayer. Amen? And so that's, for me, that's the way to live. Oh, there's been times, especially with my children, that I've said, that's it. I'm not going to pray for them anymore. The more I pray, the worse they get. So I'm not going to pray for them anymore. If they want to go to hell, let them go. But then, when I get along with God, I'm bringing them for, before the Lord. I'm saying, Lord, change them. Bring somebody into their life. And I remember my oldest son. Finally, I says, Lord, bring somebody into his life, somebody who knows you and can influence him. And the Lord said, why don't you speak to him? You know, some of the hardest things is to speak to your own family, even your own children, about spiritual things. Most of us are better at trying to live it than to tell it. But I had the privilege of going to him and addressing the, the things in his life and leading him back to the Lord. That's what God can do. And as a father, you know, like, if you look at it in the natural, I wasn't a good father. I made so many mistakes. I had a terrible temper when I was young, something like Ben Carson. <laughs> but you know something? Today, my children love me, and I love them. And it's because... We put our lives in God's hands. And if you're here today and you're a little confused at your parenting, let God have control of your life. Let God direct you. You don't have to have big, long spiritual prayers. If you need an answer, just tell him. If you have a question, just ask him. It's amazing what God will do. Ernie, team, would you come? See, maybe you're here this morning and you're just like, you know what, I really wish I had someone like Hayward in my life to be able to be a mentor, to be able to show me things and to be able to be that godly, godly example. You know what, if that is you this morning, then I really believe the Holy Spirit is speaking to you to be that person that you wish you didn't have. You know, I always, I always kind of think, if 
I wasn't pastoring and I was to go to a church as a person, it would be kind of weird. You know, because you're just so used to being the pastor. What would I do? I thought, you know what? I hope that I would be the guy that I wish I had in my life. You know, that guy that just would do whatever, just be able to stand in that place and pray for and, and walk with and encourage. Maybe that's you. You're here this morning, you're like, you know what, I just don't have someone. Can you be that person? Can you be that who you wish you never had to your son, to your daughter, to a Timothy, to a young man, to a brother here in the room? You know, Holy Spirit all of a sudden highlights someone, and you just, you just kind of walk up to them after church and say, you know what, can we get, to get, to, can we get together for coffee? I need someone in my life, and I just would really have, love to meet with you. <laughs> That's how it starts. A lifelong friendship was just saying, hey, can we get together? We hope you've been blessed by this teaching from Coley Community Church. Thank you for your continued support of this ministry. Holy Community Church, a place where families come together.